fellow Singaporeans. We are coming to a full year since our first COVID-19 case. It has been a year of uncertainty, full of ups and downs, filled with anxiety and trepidation. But much has changed within the last few months. In March and April, we peaked at over 1,000 cases a day. Now, on most days, we have zero cases of local transmissions. When the pandemic first started, we worried if there would be enough supplies in the supermarkets. Today, supermarket shelves are full and shopping is calm and uneventful. Parents were worried then whether their kids should go to school, but we kept the school year intact. CCAs have resumed and graduating students have finished exams and are waiting for their results. We will not forget the two months of circuit breaker in April and May, but today life is a lot more normal. We go to work, dine out and meet friends, though in groups of no more than five. How did we bring things under control? It took a tremendous effort and some good luck. Our measures were hard for everyone, but they worked. Singaporeans showed resilience and took them in their stride. Our economy took a big hit, but we did not let it crash. Despite the global economic dislocation, most of our workers kept their jobs. Now, our defences against COVID-19 are much stronger. We've steadily built up our testing capacities and procedures. We introduced rostered routine testing of higher risk groups. We started using antigen rapid tests to resume larger gatherings and events safely. We also beefed up our contact tracing capabilities, for example, expanding our safe entry and trace together programs and distributing trace together tokens. We got used to the inconvenient restrictions and found ways to carry on with life. We looked after one another, reminding each other to adhere to safe distancing, to wear masks, to see a doctor if ill, and so on. I'm very grateful that Singaporeans have complied with the spirit and not just the letter of the rules. We stayed united, kept up our guard, and did not allow ourselves to become complacent over time. With everyone's full support, our enhanced safeguards worked, and we could gradually ease our restrictions. And we can be proud of how far we have come. Because of your efforts, we are now ready to progress to the next phase. Phase three will begin in two weeks' time, on the 28th of December. So we will end the year with some good news. The Ministerial Task Force will explain the details immediately after my broadcast. We will ease capacity limits in public places like malls and attractions 
and at places of worship. One significant change is to allow groups of up to eight to congregate, up from the current maximum of five. So eight people can dine out together or visit someone's home. This will make it easier to hold family get-togethers during the festive period. Please understand that even as we enter phase three, the battle is far from won. The COVID-19 virus has not been eradicated. There's a long way to go. Around the world, the pandemic is still raging. Many countries are seeing second, third, or even fourth waves of infection with record numbers of daily cases. International borders remain largely closed, but trade and travel are our lifeblood. And the longer our own borders stay closed to travelers, the greater the risk of us permanently losing out as an international hub and consequently hurting our livelihoods. Therefore, our only option is to reopen our borders in a controlled and safe manner. As we do so, we will see more imported cases. And there'll be some risk of these imported cases spreading to the community. We've already had a few cases recently. An airport staff who likely came into contact with infected passengers. A marine worker who picked up the virus after boarding ships to do repair and resupply work. This is a calculated risk we have to accept. But the government will take every precaution and do our best to prevent imported cases from triggering a new outbreak. At the same time, Singaporeans must keep our guard up because the virus is most likely still circulating silently within our community. Each of us needs to play our part. By all means, make use of the higher limits and reconnect with friends and family. Please do not abandon your mindset of watchfulness and caution. This is absolutely not the time to relax and let our guard down, or to hold a big party imagining that the problem has disappeared. Progressing from phase two to phase three is a calibrated, careful move. We are easing the restrictions in a controlled way so that we can keep the COVID-19 situation stable and take more steps forward later. So it is vital that you stay cautious and vigilant, continue to cooperate with the government and comply with the rules and restrictions that will apply in phase three. How long will we have to keep this up for? It may be for quite a while, possibly a year or more. One key factor is how soon COVID-19 vaccines become available to us. The government has been working quietly behind the scenes since early in the pandemic to secure access to vaccines. This was not a simple exercise. 
More than 200 vaccine candidates were being developed, and not all would succeed. We started talking to the pharmaceutical companies early to understand the science and identify the promising candidates and the vaccines likely to reach production sooner. We set aside more than $1 billion. We placed multiple bets to sign advanced purchase agreements and make early down payments for the most promising candidates, including with Moderna, Pfizer-BioNTech and Sinovac. We made arrangements with pharmaceutical companies to facilitate their clinical trials and drug development in Singapore and attracted a few to establish vaccine manufacturing capabilities here. We also supported local efforts to develop a vaccine. This gave our own scientists and researchers the opportunity to do cutting-edge work. It was also insurance in case the global supply chain was disrupted. This way, we built up a diversified portfolio of options to ensure that Singapore would be near the front of the queue for vaccines and not last in line. Securing early access to vaccines was a whole-of-government effort. Many agencies and public officers led by the head of the civil service were involved in this critical mission. I commend them for their good work. They are among the legion of unsung heroes who have helped us get through this crisis. As you would have read in the news, the first vaccines are now coming into production. And I'm very happy to tell you that after studying the scientific evidence and clinical trial data, the Health Sciences Authority, HSA, has approved the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for pandemic use. The first shipment should arrive by the end of this month, making Singapore one of the first countries to obtain this vaccine. We also expect other vaccines to arrive in Singapore in the coming months. If all goes according to plan, we'll have enough vaccines for everyone in Singapore by the third quarter of 2021. The Ministry of Health has set up a committee of doctors and experts to recommend a vaccination strategy for us. The committee has proposed that our entire adult population should be vaccinated, but to make vaccinations voluntary. First priority will be given to those who are at greatest risk, healthcare workers and frontline personnel, as well as the elderly and vulnerable. Thereafter, the committee proposes to progressively vaccinate the rest of the population and to cover everyone who wants a vaccination by the end of next year. The government has accepted these recommendations. I have personal confidence in our experts. My cabinet colleagues and I, including the older ones, will be getting ourselves vaccinated early. This is to show you, especially seniors like me, that we believe the vaccines are safe. We have decided to make vaccinations free for all Singaporeans and for all long-term residents who are currently here, 
So I strongly encourage you to get vaccinated too when the vaccine is offered to you. Because when you get yourself vaccinated, you're not just protecting yourself, you're also doing your part to protect others, especially your loved ones. The more of us are vaccinated, the harder it'll be for the virus to spread and the safer we will all be as a society. Vaccines will support our recovery in more ways than one. As a global aviation hub, we play a crucial role transporting vaccines around the world. Vaccines require cold chain management. An ordinary refrigerator is not good enough. The Pfizer vaccine needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius, colder than the Arctic in winter. This requires infrastructure, high standards, skilled personnel, and good connectivity to many different countries all along the supply chain. Fortunately, Singapore has a strong ecosystem for cargo handling. Leading global logistics companies like DHL, UPS and FedEx are based here. SIA and Changi Airport's ground handling partners are certified by IATA, International Air Transport Association, to handle and transport pharmaceutical supplies. We are now gearing ourselves up to handle large volumes of vaccine shipments into Singapore and through Singapore to help win the global fight against COVID-19. We didn't get here overnight. We've always planned ahead, systematically creating opportunities for ourselves. It took us years of investment and planning, building a business-friendly climate and expanding our air links around the world. These long-term investments are now paying dividends. During this immediate crisis, we have reacted quickly and comprehensively, marshaled resources to solve our problems and stayed resilient. Our situation is now stable, but only because everyone has worked so hard and sacrificed so much. Now that vaccines are becoming available, we can see light at the end of the tunnel. As vaccinations become widespread, not only in Singapore, but also in our region and the world, we can look forward to resuming more normal lives. Let us keep up our efforts in this final stretch to cross the finish line together and complete our mission to defeat COVID-19. Thank you. That was Singapore Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong's address to the nation. We'll now cross over live to the multi-ministry COVID-19 task force press conference. Good evening. With the support and hard work of Singaporeans, we have managed to keep COVID-19 infections under control. And we have now reached a key milestone in our journey. Prime Minister has just announced that we will be entering phase three on 28th December. I would like to emphasize that this is not a time yet to celebrate, but a time for us to take stock of our efforts in managing the outbreak and prepare ourselves 
for the next phase of the journey. Singapore saw our first imported case on 23rd January and our first cases of local transmission on 4th of February. We stood up our contact tracing teams, expanded our testing capacity, introduced safe distancing measures and tightened border controls. Despite our best efforts, we saw several clusters of infection, including among migrant workers in the dormitories. The number of cases rose. At the peak, we saw more than 1,400 new cases a day, and that was in April. We had to mobilize many government agencies, including the Singapore Armed Forces, the Home Team, as well as the private sector and volunteers through the SG Healthcare Corps to respond quickly to the evolving situation. Second Minister for Manpower, Dr. Tan Si Ling, will elaborate further on our management of migrant workers shortly. In many countries around the world, healthcare systems were quickly overwhelmed, leading to high mortality rates. We took actions to avoid this situation. We rapidly built community care facilities so that our hospitals can focus on providing care to those who require emergency and intensive care. We added more than 14,000 beds at our community care facilities at the peak. Testing is a key strategy in our fight against COVID-19. Our testing capacity has increased from about 2,000 a day in February to more than 50,000 a day now. Vaccination is another key strategy that will allow us to protect ourselves and our loved ones against COVID-19 and allow our economy to open up and more social activities to resume. Over the past months, the world has witnessed an astonishing speed of progress in vaccine development. But while the timelines for the COVID vaccine trials have been accelerated, they must go through all the requisite clinical trials and safety checks to ensure that safety is not compromised. They must also meet the World Health Organization's guidelines as well as international standards. I want to assure all Singaporeans that only vaccines that meet strict standards of safety, quality and effectiveness will be used for our population. My Director of Medical Services will talk more about the vaccines later. To secure early access to vaccines, the government began discussions with pharmaceutical companies in May. We have since signed advanced purchase agreements with Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech and Sanovac and are in discussion with a few more. We are also a strong supporter and an active participant of the COVID-19 Vaccine Global Access Facility or COVAX facility and as part of our support for vaccine multilateralism and the fair and equitable access and allocation of vaccines, Singapore has also pledged to donate 5 million US dollars to the COVAX Advanced Market Commitment Mechanism, which will help low and lo lower middle income countries to have access to COVID-19 vaccines. The HSA, Health Sciences Authority, has now granted authorization for Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for pandemic use in Singapore. In its preliminary recommendations, the government-appointed expert committee has also endorsed the use of this vaccine in Singapore in individuals aged 16 years and above after having view, reviewed its safety and efficacy data for different population segments in Singapore. 
COVID-19 vaccination will be voluntary. However, we strongly encourage everyone to get vaccinated. To ensure the accessibility of the vaccine and encourage take-up, the vaccination will be free for all Singaporeans and long-term residents in Singapore. We will progressively vaccinate our population. And our first priority must be for those who are at greater risk and hence most in need of COVID-19 vaccination. These include healthcare workers and COVID-19 frontline workers, and volunteer groups such as and the vulnerable groups such as the elderly. This is consistent with the WHO's recommendations. As we prepare for phase three, I want to thank everyone who has contributed in your own ways, big and small, to keep Singapore safe, and the personal sacrifices you have made for the collective well-being of fellow Singaporeans. But even as we embark on phase three, the journey is not yet over. The sobering truth is that if we let our guard down now, our painstaking efforts over these months could be quickly evaporated. So let us keep up our fight and keep one another safe. If we, if we stay united, we will prevail and emerge stronger as a nation. Let me now say a few words in Mandarin. Hanuli,我们目前把疫情控制住了。也来到了一个重要的里程碑。总理刚刚宣布,我们会在十二月二十八日进入第三阶段的解封。这绝不是我们举办庆功宴的时候。其实我们必须继续提高警惕,以防新
和有效的数据之后，在他们的初步建议中也同样认可了这款疫苗适用于这种十六岁以上的人，十六岁及以上的人。辉瑞表示，首批的疫苗会在本地月底本呃本月底运抵新加坡，我们预料明年也会陆续的分批收到辉瑞和其他的疫苗。专家团建议，我国应该尽量让越多人接种越好。但是，接种疫苗不是强制性的，而是一个自愿性、自愿性的选择。虽然接种疫苗是自愿性的，我们希望极力的鼓励所有的国人和长期居留的呃呃的居民都能够接种疫苗。为了确保有意注射疫苗的人都能完成接接种。所有的国人和长期居民可以免费接种疫苗。我们会分阶段为不同的群体接种疫苗。最优先可以接种疫苗的是那些面对比较高风险的群体，他们最需要得到疫苗的保障。这些群体包括医务人员、对抗疫情的前线人员以及年长者等弱势群体。这与卫生组织的建议是一致的。专家团将在接着下来的几周以内公布他们建议的详情。我想由衷的感谢国人所做出的贡献，因为大家的付出，我们一起维护了新加坡的安全以及国人的集体健康，让我们能开始步入这第三阶段。但是，就算我们迈入第三阶段的解封，甚至有了疫苗，我们这条漫漫的长路还没有走完。如果我们放下戒心，松懈下来，我们过去这多个月来的努力，可能很快就会前功尽废。所以我恳请大家继续一同努力的来对抗疫情，保护彼此的安全和健康。我相信，只要我们能够齐心合力，我们必定能顺利、安全的落实我们的第三阶段，最终战胜这次的疫情。谢谢大家。Now I'd like to call upon my director of medical services to get a, give an update on the vaccines. Thank you very much, Minister. Today, the Health Sciences Authority has announced that it has uh, granted authorization under the pandemic special access route for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. This regime requires two doses of uh, vaccination administered 21 days apart and is recommended for individuals above the age of 16 years of age. This is part of the government's uh, process to stringently assess the safety of COVID-19 vaccines that we bring in and ensure that they comply with all international standards on safety and efficacy. And only vaccines that meet the strict standard of safety, quality and effectiveness will be used in our population. The review process uh, involved rigorous reviews of laboratory and clinical data and they have been reviewing the available scientific evidence in detail to ensure that all regulatory requirements and standards for safety and efficacy are met. This is similar to what its counterparts in the US, the UK, the European Union and the WHO have in place. Since October, the Ministry of Health has also set up an expert committee on COVID-19 vaccination. And the expert committee has also reviewed the uh, vaccination, uh, vaccine safety and efficacy data. They have been briefed by the Health Sciences Authority on its full considerations in granting interim authorization of this particular vaccine and agree with the recommendations that the vaccine should be suitable 
and given to individuals above the age of 16, but not uh, at this time uh, recommending the vaccine for pregnant women, immunocompromised uh, uh, patients, and those below the age of 16, uh, due to uh, uh, the need for more data to emerge uh, and be subject to that stringent evaluation process. They further recommend that Singapore should achieve as comprehensive a coverage uh, as possible among its population. And as such, they recommend that all Singaporeans who are medically eligible for the vaccine should be vaccinated. And the Ministry of Health has accepted the recommendations of both the Health Sciences Authority as well as the Expert Committee for the Coronavirus Vaccination. The Health Sciences Authority will continue to actively monitor the safety profile of the vaccines and track for adverse events that are associated with this vaccine, either globally or locally. And this will allow us to react quickly if we need to manage any safety issues that might arise. As a result of the recommendations coming out from the expert committees, as well as HSA, we encourage all Singaporeans to be vaccinated as long as you are within the eligible group as recommended, so that you can protect yourself and we can achieve a high level of protection nationwide. Vaccination is one of the key enablers that will protect us and our loved ones against COVID-19 infection and allow the economy to open up for social activities to resume. And having this community immunity will help us to be able to uh, safely and quickly return back to normalcy. And we encourage, therefore, everyone in Singapore to take up the vaccination when it is offered to you. Further assessment of the, uh, of, uh, the long-term data will continue to ensure that the immunity that is conferred is long-lasting and to determine uh, the proportion of the population needs to be uh, vaccinated in order to develop uh, immunity uh, to the COVID-19 uh, uh, virus. And therefore, we will continue to review uh, that data and to decide whether uh, these recommendations need to uh, be adjusted along the way. We have acquired sufficient doses of the vaccines for all Singaporeans and long-term residents in Singapore. The securing of access uh, to COVID-19 vaccines occurs through a broad and diversified portfolio and strategy to ensure that these vaccines uh, will come into Singapore in a timely fashion uh, for vaccination of the population. The first shipment is due to arrive in Singapore uh, at the end of December and the stocks will continue to arrive over the coming months. We do expect to receive enough vaccine stocks to allow for the entire population to be vaccinated before the end of this year. So everyone will, be uh, will have a chance to be vaccinated, but as the global vaccine supply is limited initially, while manufacturers continue to ramp up their capacity, we will need to prioritize those at risk and most vulnerable for that infection. And therefore, we wish to vac vaccinate those who have these high risks. In our plans, we intend to provide vaccination progressively First, protecting those who need this vaccination the most. And these would be the healthcare workers and frontline personnel most at risk of becoming infected with COVID-19. In addition, we wish to vaccinate as a priority 
the more vulnerable groups at greater risk of severe symptoms if they were to become infected with the COVID-19 infection. And this is consistent with the WHO's recommendations for vaccination. Further details will be provided as we operationalize our plans for vaccination and further announcements will be given to allow uh, you to understand where, uh, uh, what your priorities are and when these vaccines will be provided. Vaccination is not a silver bullet that will immediately end the pandemic or the outbreak that we experienced in Singapore. Safe distancing and safe management measures continue to be critical until such a time when sufficient numbers of our population are protected. The COVID-19 vaccine will expedite our recovery from the pandemic, but it is going to be some time before the world returns to a pre-COVID normalcy. The key is not to let our guard down and to let our painstaking efforts in the past few months go to waste. We need to continue to be socially responsible, wearing a mask when going out, and seeking medical attention if ill, and getting tested if we have these symptoms suspicious of COVID-19 infection. And if we can stay vigilant, we will emerge from the pandemic stronger and more united as a nation. Thank you. Thank you. I'll now ask uh, Minister Tan Siling to give an update on the situation in the, among our migrant workers. Siling. Thank you. Thank you, Minister Gan. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. As we move towards phase three of our reopening, as well as the easing of restrictions, it is also timely for us to take stock of our efforts in managing the COVID-19 outbreak at the migrant worker dormitories. We have made significant strides since March when the first cases of COVID-19 infections were detected amongst the migrant workers in the dormitories. The situation at the dormitories has since stabilised and the dormitories were cleared with workers returning to work and they are also able to take part in rest days activities. Nevertheless, we have to and we must continue to remain vigilant and take all necessary precautions to maintain this hard-won stability. I would like to share three key observations on the efforts thus far, as well as the way forward in safeguarding the health of our migrant workers. First, Singapore has been able to deal with COVID-19 in the migrant worker dormitories because of the fact that we were able to draw on the expertise as well as the resources of multiple stakeholders. We stood up the interagency task force and we mobilised nearly 3,000 officers and volunteers from across the public service, the home team and the Singapore Armed Forces. We also work closely with the dormitory operators, the employers, the medical community, the NGOs and other community groups who shared their understanding and their insights into our migrant workers' needs, as well as provided invaluable medical and coordination support on the ground in the dormitories. We also acknowledged the difficulties and the anxieties faced by many of our migrant workers when they were isolated in the dormitories with their movements restricted and with many of their colleagues and friends tested positive and being isolated and admitted to the care facilities to recover. We could not have contained this virus 
without the determination, the cooperation, the patience and the understanding of the migrant workers in the dormitories. They worked with us, they quickly adopted the safe living practices and cooperated with all the measures in place. So we want to say a big thank you to all of them. Ultimately, it took a relentless and whole-of-society effort to bring the situation under control. Again, I would like to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of the individuals who stepped up to work alongside us in this Herculean effort. We are very glad today that our migrant workers are now able to return back to work. This will be followed by a gradual return to their normal activities with the necessary safe distancing and precautionary contact tracing measures. We have since set up a dedicated team within the Ministry of Manpower called the Assurance, Care and Engagement, or ACE team. And this is to continue with and build on the ongoing efforts to safeguard the health and well-being of all of our migrant workers. Second, we have also put in place a comprehensive testing regime. This allows us to identify workers who are currently infected and those who have had past infections. This helped to avoid isolating recovered workers for overly prolonged periods. And it also allows them to return to their workplaces and dormitories sooner. At the start of the outbreak at the dormitories in March, our top priority then was to contain the spread of COVID-19 in the dormitories, as well as take care of the health of these migrant workers who were affected. Once we were able to manage this successfully, sometime in early June, we pivoted our focus to the clearing of workers and dormitories so that the recovered and the infection-free workers can resume work safely. By the end of May, the scientific literature highlighted that a significant number of infected persons were asymptomatic. But they too contributed to the spread of COVID-19. At the same time, local and international data also showed that infected persons could continue to shed non-infectious viral fragments for up to several months, even after they have recovered from COVID-19. This meant, therefore, that we needed an even more comprehensive testing strategy that can separate migrant workers who had never been infected or who had had the virus earlier but were no longer infectious from those who were currently infected or potentially harboring the virus without any symptoms. And that was why we made the decision to systematically screen all migrant workers living in dormitories to allow workers to return to work quickly and safely. So we used a combination of PCR and serological tests. We continued to rely on PCR tests to identify newly infected workers because that's the gold standard according to WHO guidelines. This has been and still remains till today the globally accepted standard for testing, especially in the diagnosis of acute infections of COVID-19 for the purposes of clinical care and also for contact tracing. For workers from dormitories with higher levels of infection, 
we use serological tests which detects antibodies to COVID-19 from a blood sample. So the serology tests are different from the PCR test, which uses the swab. The serological testing uses blood sample. This enables us to identify past infections. By August this year, all migrant workers living in dormitories have been tested at least once for COVID-19. And that gave us the reassurance, the assurance that the vast majority of infections have been contained. The, on the, the 13th of October was a significant milestone for us because there were no new cases detected in the dormitories for the first time since the 25th of March. And in the past two months, the new cases in the dormitories have continued to be low. Our testing and medical strategy have helped us to achieve good health outcomes for our migrant workers. The morbidity and mortality rates amongst our migrant workers are very low. It has also enabled us to better understand the prevalence of infection amongst our migrant workers. And this will go a long way in the coming months ahead in informing us and in allowing us to refine our strategies to continue to keep them safe and safeguard them against future outbreaks. Third, we have to continue to remain vigilant as we make progressive steps to ease restrictions for our migrant workers. Aggressive routine testing using both PCR and antigen rapid tests as well as isolation strategies will remain a cornerstone in our multi-layered strategy to detect new infections. We have now completed several cycles of routine testing. The number of new infections, as I've alluded to earlier on, detected have remained very low, and it's now coming up to about eight weeks where they've remained consistently very low. As we transition into phase three, we will gradually relax the restrictions on our migrant workers. Migrant workers can access communal facilities in their dormitories, such as cooking stations and sports facilities. They can now visit recreational centres more often to access their daily needs, for example, to go to the barber or even for remittance of money back to their home country services. We are also working with recreational centres to bring in more activities, including movie, sports screening, some pasamalam perhaps. We will also start a pilot scheme in the first quarter of 2021 with some dormitories to allow our migrant workers to access the community once a month. This is subject, of course, to compliance with rostered routine testing, wearing of contact tracing tokens, as well as safe distancing and safe living measures. We continue to strengthen the safe management measures for all of our migrant workers. Migrant workers living in dormitories and working in the construction, marine, process sectors must wear their Blue Pass tokens so that in the event of a new infection, we will be able to very quickly isolate and quarantine a much smaller number of close contacts in order for us to reduce disruption to businesses. And we will continue to need employers' cooperation and support to ensure that their workers continue to go for routine, uh, rostered routine testing. 
Ladies and gentlemen, with all of the measures, with all of the support, the cooperation, the coordination, and all of the efforts for the past many months by many people in the dorms, if I may use an analogy, I think we have just reached base camp. The weeks, the months ahead, as we gradually ease these restrictions, we have to recognise that the crisis is far from over. We still have to scale the peak in terms of ensuring that as we open up safely, we will continue to have to implement a robust and an inclusive regime of vaccination and regular testing, aggressive testing for all of our migrant workers, isolating and treating the affected ones and doing aggressive contact tracing and keeping the rest of them and the rest of us safe. I would like to end by a reminder that no one is really safe until all of us are safe. Thank you very much. Thank you. I now invite the Minister Chan Chun Singh to say a few words on the economy. Thank you, Kim Yong. Since the circuit breaker, our economic activities have progressively resumed. The local COVID situation has largely come under control and global demand has resumed a bit slowly and unevenly. We expect recovery next year to be gradual and uneven because of recurrent waves of infection in other countries and the uncertainties associated with the pace of vaccine production, distribution and vaccination. Fundamentally, we expect many segments of our economy to be permanently changed. This includes sectors who have done well amidst COVID, for example, in the info, com and media industry and the financial sector and those who have yet to recover, including tourism and aviation. This is because global production, value and supply chains are being reorganised to respond to new threats that have been exacerbated by COVID. The changes in technology, geopolitical uncertainties, the search for resilience besides efficiency and the significant increase in remote working possibilities will reshape the global economy and competition for jobs. As such, we will not return to the pre-COVID world. We should pivot to seize new opportunities and overcome the current challenges starting now. Moving forward into phase three, our approach remains as follows. First, to resume our economic activities safely in a steady, consistent and sustainable manner. Our top priority is to keep our people safe while at the same time providing continuity and confidence for our businesses to attract investments and serve the global markets. More businesses and activities will resume in phase three. The details are in the media release. For attractions, they will be able to increase their capacity from 50% to 65% of their total capacity for malls, they will be able to take in more visitors from the 10, per, 10 meter per square, 10 meter, 10 square meter per person to 8 square meter per person. We will also continue to pilot new ways to allow higher risk activities to resume safely. The mice industry is a good example. 
When business people cannot meet in each other countries when needed, we will pilot ways for them to meet safely in Singapore to conduct their business activities. This is ultimately about risk management and not about risk elimination. We thank the business community for their understanding and cooperation throughout all these months, especially those which have not been able to re fully resume their activities. For those that have not been able to resume operations, we will continue to work closely with them to pilot commercially viable new ways to do so. Second, we will safely reconnect with the world to preserve our air hub status for people and goods. We will allow more travellers to enter and transit Singapore safely, but manage the numbers so that the imported cases do not overwhelm our healthcare system. With enhanced testing and tracing capabilities, we will be able to pilot more surgical ways to manage the risks associated with different groups of travellers. For logistics, we will maintain our air, land and sea links with the world to perform our role as a critical supply chain node for global logistics flow. Through this pandemic, we did not impose export restrictions for our own benefit, but to the detriment of the global supply chains. The world has seen how we operate and know that we will honour our word even in the depth of crisis. What they have seen has strengthened their confidence in Singapore that we will continue to do our best to keep the global supply chains moving. Third, we will continue to adopt a clear, consistent, coherent and facilitative posture to attract high-value, long-term investment to be planted in Singapore for us to continue creating good jobs for our people. That companies like Thermo Fisher, Hyundai and others have continued to invest in Singapore through the pandemic is a testimony to the efficacy of this approach. We will continue to help our businesses and workers to pivot to new sectors and not wait for the pandemic to blow over. Our plans include seizing the opportunities across diverse growth sectors such as advanced manufacturing, financial services, infocom and media, agri-tech and others. In the coming months, we will progressively announce our plans for the respective sectors to power our next lap of economic development. Fourth, we will continue to diversify our products and food supply chains and markets to make ourselves more resilient to disruptions by both natural developments and policy-induced actions. We will strengthen our connections with the world as our hinterland and markets. For food supplies, we will also actively manage our stockpiles and review our local production capabilities and capacities as the global uncertainties associated with food supplies have not abated. For trade, we will continue to grow our networks of free trade agreement areas, including digital economy agreements, to strengthen our company's access to global markets. The recently concluded RCEP UK-Singapore Free Trade Agreement and the Pacific Alliance Singapore Free Trade Agreement will add to our existing portfolios of FTAs in a non-linear way. Our companies will continue to diversify and review the resilience of their supply chains and the robustness of their business continuity plans. In conclusion, we must never get complacent and let our gut down. Our job is not yet done. We are but running in the next lap of a long race. Just as the World Economic Forum's decision to host the 2021 annual meeting in Singapore, to use an, a baseball analogy, we are just stepping up to bat. 
but we have not hit the home run yet. If we maintain our focus, we will hit the home run soon enough. Otherwise, complacency will do us a fate no different from countries who have suffered recurring waves of infection that have further disrupted their economic recovery. Thank you. Uh, good evening. Let me conclude this segment by reiterating some of the key measures that we will introduce at the start of Phase 3 on the 28th of December. First, social gatherings we will allow for up to eight persons, which is an increase from five persons today. Second, we will increase the capacity limits of key premises like shopping malls and attractions, as Minister Chan had said just now. Third, we will have larger gatherings in religious organizations of up to 250 persons, or five zones of 50, which is an increase from the present two zones of 50. We will also allow live performance elements in these places of worship with the necessary safe management measures in place. Fourth, live performances for arts and culture in both indoor and outdoor venues, we will allow for gatherings also of up to 250 persons, and that also is an increase from the present 2 times 50 um, threshold. These are the moves that we will make at the start of phase three. Within phase three itself, we will be prepared to allow for further relaxation of the measures, be it for domestic activities within Singapore or with regard to our control measures at the borders. The approach we will take is to conduct pilots in some of these higher risk activities and settings in order to better understand the risk before we decide to take a further move. At the same time, we will continue to build up our capabilities. For example, with regard to testing, we will roll out and have more pervasive use of rapid antigen tests, particularly for larger scale events. With regard to contact tracing, we will be able to achieve a participation rate of around 70% in our Trace Together program by the end of this year, which is one of the reasons why we are embarking on phase three. But we will not stop there. We want to achieve an even higher participation rate, be it through the downloading of the Trace Together app or the distribution of tokens, which will continue throughout all our community centers. So when that process has been completed and everyone has had the chance to either get the app or get a token, we will introduce Trace Together Only Safe Entry, where the safe entry will be allowed only through the use of Trace Together. Uh, this has been a, an exceptional year for all of us. It has been a difficult year. Many, many people, many unsung heroes have worked very hard round the clock and made tremendous sacrifices in order for us to get here. So on behalf of the multi-ministry task force, we want to thank everyone for their tremendous contributions to this effort. We are now at a significant milestone and at a new phase of fighting the virus. But all our hard-won gains against COVID-19 will evaporate if we start to relax now. 
So it is critical for us to keep our guard up, particularly during this final stretch. Also, we know that this is the festive period, the relaxation in phase three, particularly the increase in social gatherings from five to eight will allow us to gather in slightly larger numbers. But let's do so responsibly and keep up the good practices that we have cultivated over the past few months. Uh, earlier this year, I said that this fight against COVID-19 was going to be a marathon and not a sprint. Now, we are at the final stretch of the marathon. But remember, this final stretch is still going to be a long one and it is probably going to be the most difficult part of the race. Or if you want to use a mountain climbing analogy as Dr. Tan Siling had suggested, typically you get to base camp but the final ascent to the summit is the one that is fraught with greatest risk. So we really need to stay disciplined and focused all the way through the end. Let's work together to win this fight against COVID-19 and make 2021 a better, healthier and safer year for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. I'll invite questions from the journalists. Thank you, Ministers, DMS. We will now begin with the question and answer. A gentle reminder to members of media that we will only take one question from each media to allow more to participate. May we now have the first question from Chapao. Soon Ket, please. Hi, good evening, ministers and DMS. Um, I forgot a question. Why is the vaccination program made voluntary and not mandatory? And how does the government hope to encourage greater public acceptance of vaccina vaccination apart from making it free? Thank you. I'll ask the DMS to elaborate, but uh, let me just say that uh, uh, in Singapore, we are very, very few uh, vaccines that are mandatory. Uh, measles is one of them. Uh, beyond that, uh, very few vaccinations are made mandatory because we do want to uh, respect people's choice, but we want to encourage as many people as possible to be vaccinated because we have assessed that, that this uh, particular vaccine is effective and safe for uh, uh, individuals to take up uh, according to the recommendation of uh, HSA and the uh, expert committee. And we do want to uh, go out and have a, a public education campaign in the weeks and months ahead to share the details of this vaccine and what, uh, how it protects uh, our population against infection and the benefits of the vaccine and to share with them uh, more details of the vaccine so as to convince them that it is safe for us to be vaccinated. And of course, uh, Prime Minister has said that uh, he and his uh, colleagues, uh, I'm sure including myself, uh, will be part of this uh, vaccination process as well. Uh, DMS. Thank you. Uh, before I respond to the question uh, specifically, I wish to make a clarification to what I had uh, spoken about earlier. Uh, while we are making attempts to, all attempts to bring the vaccines in in a timely fashion, this will occur in phases, and uh, we do expect that uh, all Singaporeans will be able to get uh, vaccinated uh, before the end of 2021, not the end of uh, this year. Uh, now, coming back specifically to the question that was asked uh, on vaccination programs, why we made it voluntary, uh, we have to understand that at this point in time, we still continue to learn more about the disease as well as uh, the vaccine, how effective it is, uh, and what its side effects are. We are assured by the data that's come out so far 
with regard to the Pfizer vaccine that uh, any side effects encountered so far, while uh, uh, common in some uh, groups of uh, patients, uh, they are indeed minor and often would settle within um, 48 hours. However, long-term data for these vaccines still uh, continues to come in and we are continuing to study uh, the vaccine uh, profile, the, the, the uh, side effects uh, that may arise. And it's prudent for us to make recommendations, but not necessarily force every Singaporean to adopt uh, the vaccine. Also, uh, uh, Singaporeans may have a variety of different uh, medical conditions in their medical history that may uh, uh, require us to be a little bit more prudent or to specifically match certain types of vaccines to their condition to ensure that uh, uh, their safety is upheld. So on that basis, in addition to what Minister has said, we've chosen uh, to respect the choice of Singaporeans and not to uh, insist that every Singaporean get vaccinated uh, at this time. That said, we strongly believe that vaccines, uh, vaccination is an, a critical component of the strategy to bring us out of this pandemic, and we will be encouraging and recommending all Singaporeans to consider taking up this vaccine. To provide more information to allow Singaporeans to make an informed choice, we will be continuing a strategy of engagement, providing more information to clarify the status of vaccines, how beneficial they may be, uh, what possible experiences Singaporeans may encounter as they come forward for vaccines, and what to expect. Uh, and we hope that this part of the education process will allow all of us then to make an informed decision and have confidence that vaccines are effective and safe. I should also add that, uh, again, uh, vaccine is not the only measure against uh, COVID-19. Uh, vaccination has to be taken in the context of the whole host of uh, measures that we are putting in place. We must continue with safe distancing. We must continue with uh, testing, aggressive testing, and the various measures that are put in place. So uh, it cannot be seen as a single uh, uh, instrument in our fight against uh, COVID-19. Thank you, Minister. Thank you, DMS. We will now have the next question from CNE. Si Hui, please. Hi, Minister. Um, okay, for me, my question will be, you know, what happens if the take-up rate of vaccination is low? Is there a target take-up rate? And how do you encourage um, long-term pass holders to get the jab? What's the second part? Uh, I'll answer the first part. Uh, we do not have a specific target at the moment. Uh, the target is really as high as possible. I think the committee has recommended that we should endeavour to uh, reach out to all Singaporeans and all local uh, residents to encourage them to take up this uh, vaccination, uh, save uh, the group that uh, DMS has mentioned, those that are below 16 and so on. Beyond that, those who are eligible ought to take up the that vaccination and we will and, and, and force our we will enhance our public education and outreach program to encourage as many to sign up as possible. At the second part of the question I didn't quite get it. The long term pass holders, how do we get them? I can answer that. Go ahead. For the long term uh, pass holders, the plan is to um, make it very convenient in terms of access. So we will be enlisting uh, the help of the medical centres um, and the providers of these medical services at the regional medical centres within the dorms, um, over in the um, sectoral medical centres and some of the recreational centres, as well as um, uh, some of the, the community medical clinics that provide support 
in terms of the screening uh, and the testing to many of the migrant workers. So it will be um, a, a phased um, sort of approach whereby we roll out these vaccinations and offer them to all of the migrant workers. The exact details today, uh, I don't think um, it, it's beyond the scope of, of time that we have today to, to sort of uh, um, bring it all out. But um, in, the, in the weeks ahead, as we get um, visibility over the schedule of the delivery of the vaccines coming in, and based on the, um, the, the, uh, the, the very calibrated approach in terms of the needs of the larger population and the community, then we will have a, a timeline and a schedule to roll out the immunizations for, for all these long-term pass holders. Thank you. Thank you, ministers. Can we have the next question from BBC? Karishma, please. Hi, Ministers. Thank you for your update. Congratulations on getting Singapore to phase three. I wanted to ask about the kinds of vaccinations that you're offering people here. Will everyone get the Pfizer vaccine or will you be giving some people the Sinovac vaccine from China that was mentioned as one of the vaccines in the mix? How do you decide who gets which one? Uh, I'll ask the DMS to elaborate, but uh, because today uh, HSA has only uh, authorized the use of uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, so for the immediate uh, future, the immediate uh, program for vaccination will be based on this uh, uh, vaccine. I would expect that over time, when more vaccines are authorized, and they will then be uh, used as a, a variety, we do want to have a diversity of uh, sources and uh, vaccines available to us, and some vaccines may have certain limitations, uh, certain criteria, and we will uh, have to assess on a vaccine by vaccine basis to, to determine which vaccines is more suitable for uh, which segment of uh, population. And if those are, uh, if vaccines are available for the whole population, then we could use a mix of vaccines to make, make them available to uh, the population. Maybe the EMS want to elaborate? Uh, indeed, uh, we adopt a portfolio approach, and this uh, helps us to manage the risks associated with uh, vaccine procurement. Uh, and both Prime Minister and uh, Minister Gunn have uh, mentioned already that uh, uh, we have en entered in uh, procurement arrangements with at least three uh, vaccine uh, uh, manufacturers, and that includes Pfizer, uh, BioNTech, uh, uh, as well as uh, the uh, uh, Moderna and uh, uh, Sinovac. However, I should uh, uh, stress again that we have yet to register all these vaccines. It's only the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine that has passed the scrutiny of HSA under its interim authorization process and has granted this interim authorization. We are hopeful that as the data emerges from the other companies and, and these uh, data is submitted to the HSA, uh, that um, uh, due diligence can be conducted and eventually further authorization will take place. Once that happens, that provides us with the ability to uh, consider uh, a broader uh, basket of vaccines that can be used to vaccinate Singaporeans. But at this time, it is only the Pfizer vaccine that is available because it's registered and authorized for use in Singapore. And uh, our, we would plan to start vaccinations using this particular vaccine first. Uh, the vaccines that we've looked at uh, comprise of different types of vaccines. Both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine fall into a category known as mRNA vaccines. The Sinovac vaccine is a live, inactivated uh, uh, virus vaccine. 
And it may well be that over time, there will be data demonstrating that certain types of vaccines might be better suited for certain, uh, part, uh, uh, certain groups of our population. And if that were the case, then we would uh, discuss with our expert committee whether we should differentiate our vaccine strategy further to offer certain types of vaccines to certain types of, uh, of our population. But as yet, we have not made such recommendations. This would be subject to further review depending on the evidence and, and data that emerges submitted by the vaccine companies. Uh, so for now, uh, we would be using the Pfizer vaccine. Our current recommendation is to offer this to uh, the general, uh, the population of Singapore, prioritizing healthcare workers, those working in the front line, as well as vulnerable patients uh, who do not have any medical contraindications uh, for vaccination. Thank you, Minister DMS. Can we have the next question from Bloomberg, please? Hi, uh, thank you very much. So as you know, migrant workers accounted for the overwhelming majority of cases in Singapore, and they also continue to live in these very you know, hard conditions, as we just reviewed. So as such, you know, are they currently being considered a priority group or when are a vulnerable group uh, for the vaccine? Will they be among the first to get the jab uh, when the first batch comes? Will they be included in that? Thank you. Thank you for the question. Uh, we take a very calibrated approach. I think um, given the, the, the vast amount of uh, rostered routine testing that we've done, um, on the average, if you looked at, um, at the, the number of tests that we've been doing every fortnight, um, so every day we, we run the tests in, the, in, the, in between 10,000 to about 12,000 tests on any given day that we do in terms of these uh, PCR tests. So we have... Um, been able to fairly precisely and accurately segmented the groups into those that are not immune to those that have recovered uh, and have that immunity. And up to this day, uh, we still uh, check on them very regularly. So when we have established the schedule of the onboarding of the vaccines. And, and today, um, I think PM has said that uh, the bulk of the vaccines will all come on board um, over the next few months. By the time we have the, 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 the three different types of vaccines coming in, I believe a more robust schedule would be then started and we will roll out these vaccines to the migrant worker population who are currently uh, are not immune, meaning that uh, they are COVID naive. So uh, that is how we intend to segment them. So to, the, to answer your question, at this particular point in time, in terms of the, if you look at the, the, um, what we've reported thus far, uh, based on the population that we have, which is about 300,000, Roughly about 100,000 of these are, are, are not immune. So we will be prioritizing this group of workers first over and above um, the, 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 the other colleagues and the new ones coming, coming
coming in because we are also gradually relaxing the border to, to allowing more migrant workers to come into some of those who are existing uh, pass holders who have gone back for a break or vacation. Um, we are allowing them to start to come back. So obviously we'll be screening this group as well. Thank you. I think uh, maybe useful to reiterate that the uh, first priority will be among the healthcare workers because they face uh, patients uh, from day to day and they also are in contact with uh, COVID-19 uh, patients uh, from time to time. So they are at the highest risk group and therefore we should make sure that they have access to the vaccine. That, I think that's uh, understandable. I think the second uh, group is uh, probably those that are more vulnerable to uh, serious consequences if they're infected. This will include the seniors and those who are, uh, have, have uh, pre-existing conditions. We may need to uh, vaccinate them first. And thereafter, there will be different groups that may have a different priority. Even among the migrant workers, you may need to segregate them. Uh, there may be those who are more involved in uh, uh, activities and business uh, or economic activities that are more exposed to uh, potential infection that you may need to prioritize them. But I think those will be uh, in the second uh, round. The first round, the priorities, I think, is quite clear. And we need to prioritize the first few rounds also partly because the supplies are likely to be limited because of the uh, volume that the producers are able to manufacture and the operational challenges of having to vaccinate a large number of population. So the initial part, I think the prioritization is a lot more critical. And subsequent to that, um, uh, more vaccines may be available, more companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies may be able to get their uh, vaccines approved and therefore there will be more uh, availability. And and there could also be greater volume of production available and therefore prioritization in subsequent phases are less critical and we will need to assess based on the supplies, availability, operational requirements as well as the population needs. So I think there are multiple factors and we will come to that progressively as we roll out our vaccination plan. Thank you, Ministers. Can we have the next question from Streets Times? Salma, please. Thank you. Uh, still, you know, on the subject of foreign workers and the serology and PCR tests, uh, about half of the workers are now protected from COVID-19 because they either had the PCR uh, positive or serology positive. So that means they do not need to be vaccinated. The question is, were the same serology tests done among the population at large? And if yes, is the proportion the same as in the dormitories? In other words, is there a large number of people who also do not need to be vaccinated amongst the people of Singapore? Uh, DMS? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Sama, for that question. Uh, we did do a recent uh, uh, serology sampling uh, study in the wider Singapore community, and this was conducted sometime in September uh, and October of this year. And uh, out of uh, 1,600 uh, subjects uh, around that number, there were only four uh, with a positive serology test. Uh, so that translates to a possible community uh, prevalence of 0.25%. And this is much lower than uh, the prevalence uh, that we found in the dormitories and is, uh, I believe, reflective of the uh, extent of uh, cooperation that everyone in the public has in adhering to COVID-19 measures, including the earlier uh, circuit breaker intervention that we had. Uh, that said, uh, like the situation in the migrant worker uh, dormitories, 
the serology results in the community do show a higher prevalence rate of infection uh, compared to the prevalence rate that we would uh, derive from uh, uh, PCR uh, positive uh, test results. Uh, and this uh, uh, is in keeping with our understanding that uh, COVID-19 infection can occur in an asymptomatic fashion uh, among people. And this is also the reason why we would need to be uh, uh, continuing our vigilance uh, and not to assume uh, that, that there is no uh, cryptic uh, spread of uh, COVID-19 infection in the community. Uh, so the PCR positive uh, rate uh, in the community was something in the order of about 0.04 percent. But uh, in that community sampling uh, study uh, we did in the community, uh, we found a prevalence rate based on serology of 0.25 percent. Thank you, DMS. Can we have the next question from today? Tessa, please. Uh, good evening, Ministers and DMS. Uh, good evening, Ministers and DMS. My question is on um, the kind of uh, vaccine allergy issues that have occurred in the UK. So um, my understanding is the UK has now issued an anaphylaxic uh, warning on the Pfizer vaccines. And I want to understand, do we have similar concerns here? Are we going to follow suit with the UK and also have issued the same warning? What, what, what is our reaction to this uh, kind of allergic reaction that the UK has seen? Thank you. Uh, indeed, we are concerned uh, about uh, allergic reactions, and this is also the, a similar concern for any other vaccine that is available today for a variety of different conditions where vaccine uh, are available for. Uh, and any medication that's given to a patient can give rise to allergic reactions. The most severe of allergic reactions would be what we describe as ana an anaphylactic reaction. And uh, in the UK, there have been reports of two individuals who have uh, displayed uh, uh, features of a severe anaphylactic uh, or severe allergic reaction. Uh, the HSA recommendation, uh, wrong, the HSA authorization and the expert committee's recommendation to us is uh, to, uh, uh, to um, not vac vaccinate uh, individuals who have a history of severe allergic reactions or anaphylactic reactions. Further, uh, all uh, individuals receiving a, vac a vaccination must be observed for a short period of time uh, to ensure they do not have immediate signs to suggest a, 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 an allergic reaction occurring soon after vaccination uh, uh, is done. If an individual has uh, some uh, allergic reactions after that first dose of a vaccine uh, being given, uh, the recommendation is then not to complete and give that second dose given uh, that a reaction has occurred already with that first dose. So we err on the side of safety. We want to make sure that we do not expose uh, members of the public who are vaccinated to that risk of, vac uh, of vaccine-related allergies. And on the basis of a history of allergic reactions or an actual documented reaction occurring as a result of this vaccine being given, we will not give any further vaccinations uh, to that individual. Thank you, DMS. Can we have the next question from Mothership? Jane, please. Hi, um, just want to ask if a take-up rate for the vaccination is high, um, will certain safe distancing measures change for the people who have been vaccinated. So for example, this could be um, wearing of masks, number of people allowed to meet in a group or work from home. Yeah, sorry, I just want to clarify, you are saying that if uh, will we change the rules with regard to uh, working from home and wearing a mask uh, when we have a vaccination program, is it? Um, yeah, and specifically um, for the people who are vaccinated because COVID won't be as much of a 
um, concern for them. Okay, so let me, uh, uh, maybe uh, Lawrence can add on later on. I just wanted to say that we have to be uh, quite careful with uh, the approach, uh, the idea of a vaccination. Currently, vaccination uh, protects the person who is vaccinated and the evidence of uh, whether it has uh, uh, protection against a transmission from the person who is vaccinated uh, to another person, the evidence is still uh, being studied, so we do not have a clear evidence of that yet. There's a likelihood that it will provide some protection, uh, prevention against a transmission, but uh, the evidence is not yet conclusive, so we still have to continue to monitor the signs in that aspect. So we cannot assume that once you're vaccinated, uh, therefore you are not likely to transmit to any other person and you can take off your mask and do whatever you want. I think that is uh, too uh, early at this stage to reach the conclusion. And therefore, as I mentioned earlier, despite vaccination, all the safe distancing measures must still continue to be observed. And we will, con we will monitor this, the development in this area and we will adjust our SMM safe management measures uh, uh, progressively as time goes on. Maybe Lawrence can add on. Well, so just to reiterate the point that we really need to look at all the measures holistically, vaccination, testing, safe management measures, and make sure that we have a full suite of uh, precautions and safeguards. We will have to need, we will need to assess, as Minister Gan said, uh, the effectiveness of the vaccine, not just in protecting yourself, which we already know, but the extent to which the vaccine will help reduce transmission risk. We know it will, but we do need a better sense assessment of how far it will go in reducing transmission risk before we can then look at it holistically and see uh, what sort of adjustments can be made in the other safe management measures. So for now, please understand, a vaccine is not a ticket to freedom to do anything you want. Thank you, Ministers. Can we have the next question from Reuters? Chen Lin, please. Good evening, Ministers and DMS. Uh, so just now, Professor Kenneth Mark uh, mentioned that Singapore has acquired sufficient vaccines for all Singaporeans and long-term residents. So how many vaccines exactly have we secured? And how many have we secured of Pfizer, Moderna and Sinovac, respectively? Thank you. Uh, suffice it to say that the, the number of regimes uh, that we have secured, and when I say regime, it would be uh, two doses per person, given that one regime requires two doses. It's sufficient, uh, uh, more than enough, for uh, the population of Singaporeans and long-term uh, residents in Singapore. Uh, there are some uh, commercial uh, sensitivities, and the advance purchase agreements uh, 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 contain some confidentiality clauses. We would uh, not be at liberty to mention specific numbers just yet. The numbers may, in fact, change over time simply because uh, of uh, the influence of manufacturing capacity uh, and, and when these vaccines can be delivered into Singapore. But we have planned a schedule that includes uh, in phases bringing in a total number of vaccine doses that allows for the full uh, uh, vaccine regime to be given to the entire population in Singapore. Thank you, DMS. We will now take the next question from Yahoo. Kessinger, please. Hi, uh, good, good evening to the panel. Um, the PM said that the Pfizer vaccine will arrive in December. The first treatment will arrive in 1st December. So uh, when exactly would the first shots uh, be administered? 
we are again uh, working through uh, uh, the process of how we would uh, operationalize uh, vaccination. Uh, and this would pretty much depend on when the vaccines arrive, but we've started that preparatory planning uh, together with um, the various uh, healthcare institutions uh, who uh, would be taking uh, charge of, uh, of delivering these uh, vaccinations uh, to the uh, first priority groups. As I mentioned earlier, that would be the healthcare workers as well as vulnerable seniors. Many of these seniors will be living in uh, nursing home settings, and therefore, um, uh, it would be uh, uh, there will be a need for us to range uh, and work through those process processes to make sure that they are vaccinated. Uh, we have worked through already uh, the logistics associated with storage of the vaccine, transport of the vaccine, and given that the Pfizer vaccine requires specific logis logistic requirements, including the establishment and maintenance of an ultra coal uh, supply chain. Uh, requiring the vaccine to be stored uh, at uh, an environmental temperature of, uh, of um, minus 70 degrees centigrade. Uh, that needs to be maintained and we work through those processes. We think that if uh, the vaccine arrives at a certain date before the end of the year, we might be ready to start delivering uh, the, the uh, vaccines, uh, the vaccinations uh, within the, the next two to three weeks. Uh, but uh, we want to make sure that uh, the processes are robust what is important is to make sure that we are able to safely deliver the vaccines and the vaccinations. It's done properly without disruptions, and therefore that does require a meticulous planning to make sure that uh, this is done properly. So we're not fussed about uh, uh, whether or not there, uh, there, there's a period of time that passes between the vaccines arriving in Singapore and the first vaccination starting, but we do want to make sure that we're able to do this safely uh, to um, our at-risk populations in Singapore in a timely fashion. Can I just add, uh, I can understand a lot of interest in you know, exactly when the vaccines will arrive and who will get vaccinated, but as DMS highlighted, it is quite a complex process, not least because we need to have uh, sight of the schedule of when the vaccines will arrive, the logistics, the, the cold chain, and then the delivery or the, the last mile to get the vaccines out into the polyclinics and to all the centres where, where vaccinations will take place. Bearing in mind that the minute you take the vaccine out of that cold chain, it has to be consumed in quite a short period of time. So it's, it's quite a complex undertaking operationally. But we want to assure everyone we are working out a plan and when we are ready with the details, we will put out in phases how this vaccination process can take place through the course of 2021. I think more details will be shared with the public when they are ready and uh, closer to the date so that the public will have a sufficient time to be prepared and to go through the vaccination process. Thank you, Ministers, DMS. We are in the middle of the question and answer segment of the Multi-Ministry Task Force press conference. Members of the media who wish to ask questions, please use the raise hand function. A gentle reminder that we will only take one question from each media to allow more to participate. We will now take the next question from Channel 8. Shuen, please. Good evening, Ministers. I would like to check. Uh, once we roll out this vaccination plan, would there be any changes on our testing strategy? Specifically, does this mean those who have been vaccinated does not have to undergo pre-departure or even post-arrival COVID tests when they want to go travelling or returning to the country in the future? Thank you. 
So we will be, as I mentioned just now, taking into account the the new sort of uh, the fact that more people will be vaccinated next year. We will have to look at the broad suite, the overall suite of measures, and make adjustments accordingly. For example, with vaccinations in place, and if travellers are, you know, can show proof and certification of a vaccination, then. The kind of test we administer might well ch uh, uh, vary, right? Because we would then want to test to make sure that the person has antibodies in response to the vaccine. And if so, then it, it's an indication that the vaccine is effective. We might not be testing, p uh, administering a PCR test. So these are kind, the kinds of things we are working on right now, uh, considering that more and more people will be vaccinated. Uh, we will still need the full suite of other safeguards, testing and safe management measures, as we mentioned just now. But the types of tests that we administer will have to vary, and the testing regime and protocol that we put in place for our borders, for events, all of these will have to uh, be adjusted accordingly. And we are working through all of these different settings now. Thank you, Ministers. We have time for the last two questions now. Can we have the next question from SMDN? Ji Yijun, please. Hi, good evening, Ministers and DMS. I just have one question I want I would like to clarify. Uh, for uh, just now you mentioned that seniors are one are one of the vulnerable groups. So I uh, just wanted to check for seniors who are with uh, chronic disease, are they also, are they like safe to be vaccinated? And then do they have to be assessed by the doctors or that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for your question. Indeed, um, we uh, are including within our prioritization uh, seniors uh, who are at increased risk of, uh, of a poor outcome if they get infected by COVID-19 infection. Uh, in particular, those who have existing chronic medical conditions, uh, which affects the ability to combat and recover from that infection, these are the ones we are most concerned about, and they will be prioritized. Uh, the, uh, the engagement with doctors uh, uh, is continuing at this point in time, and we will be providing uh, doctors with information concerning uh, the vaccine, uh, who it's most suited for, uh, so that they can also provide uh, information to their patients to allow their patients to make an informed decision, uh, and the doctors can make a, a proper recommendation on the basis of the, uh, their patient's uh, medical history and medical conditions. But indeed, we want to prioritize those with an increased risk. Seniors with chronic medical conditions are considered uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of these high-risk groups. Thank you, DMS. We will take the last question from CNA Digital. Hui Min, please. Yeah, thanks for taking my question. So my question is more related to entering phase three on December 28. Um, you know, it's just a few days after Christmas. So are the authorities worried that people will see it as um, permission to kind of gather in larger groups during Christmas, even though we haven't officially gone into phase three yet. And will there be any um, measures taken just to kind of ensure that people don't break the rules before we officially enter phase three? Thank you. Uh, thank you. We are indeed concerned um, that as we enter phase three in the run-up to 28th of December and even past 28th of December, uh, you know, there will be groups of people who let their guard down, they get complacent, 
And because it's, it is a festive period, um, you know, there's a tendency to you know, get into celebrate, uh, a celebratory mood, and all the more uh, the risk of complacency sets in. So that's why we have, if you heard us just now, repeatedly emphasized the need to be vigilant, to keep our guard up, and to continue with all the good practices that we have put in place so far. At the same time, we will be doing our usual checks at all the different, the usual hotspots all over Singapore. Um, during this period in particular, uh, we, our safe distancing ambassadors will be out there reminding everyone. We will also have enforcement officers on the ground doing their usual inspections. So uh, we just want to remind everyone, FMB outlets, individuals, yes, make, you know, when phase three starts on the 28th of December, you will be allowed and you will be able to have a gathering in a larger group. You will be able to go out, have, a larger me uh, have uh, meals in a larger group with your family and with your friends. So, you know, make use of it. It's, it's, uh, it's something special for those who may not have had the chance to eat together in, in, in that setting. Uh, use that opportunity well, but stay responsible. And remember, at the end of the day, the enforcement officers are still going to be there. And if we do see people who breach the rules, if we do see F&B establishments, hotels, any outlet that breaches the rules, we will have to take enforcement actions. And these will be done without hesitation. Uh, so again, it's a reminder to everyone, let's take this seriously. We have all seen some close misses uh, in the recent weeks where we've had cases. Um, people with uh, infection without realizing it get together multiple tables and they could very well have formed large clusters. Fortunately, that did not happen. Uh, if it had, we would have had much larger outbreaks by now. So let's not, um, let's not take this lightly. It is quite serious. We, we are moving forward with phase three. In phase three, Actually, we are taking more risk, but it is a calculated risk. It's carefully calibrated to allow us to begin, uh, resume more activities. Um, I think we should uh, consider this a privilege, not abuse it, and then continue our mindset of vigilance, of discipline and focus as long as possible until we complete this fight against COVID-19. I just, uh, yeah. I just to add one point to what Minister Lawrence has shared, Enterprise Singapore will be working together with the major retailers to see how we can better improve their layout to create more space for the crowd to disperse within their premises and perhaps to use some of the space beyond their premises. This is to make sure that we are able to better manage the crowd during the year-end uh, festive season and also the period towards uh, Chinese New Year. So we will be making subsequent announcements when the plans are ready with the major retailers. Thank you. I think uh, let me just uh, summarize uh, as we draw this uh, uh, conference to a close. I think as we move towards uh, phase three, we do expect that the risk will go up, risk of infection will go up as we allow more people together we resume more social activities and economic activities, risk will go up. 
that means that the enforcement, the discipline has to be strengthened and tightened so that we can continue to contain the risk and keep the number of cases as low as possible so that we can have a smooth and safe journey through the phase three. So if you look around the world, uh, uh, around us, you can see that uh, multiple waves of uh, new infections are emerging. Uh, we can say in Chinese, so we know we are faced with uh, many infections around us, so we have to be very careful. The Chinese also say we have to be every step that we take, we must exercise caution, and we need the cooperation and support of all Singaporeans to allow us to journey through this phase three safely and smoothly. So once again, thank you for joining us at this press conference. Thank you, Ministers, DMS. We have now come to the end of the press conference. Thank you all and have a good evening.